What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of Flippin' Bats. We got a new week. It is Monday, meaning power rankings and team of the week coming at you. A lot of storylines to get to as well. Fernando Tatis, some big news there. Also, another Astros-Yankees talk. Jacob deGrom is back to being Jacob deGrom. This one's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get to it. Man, it feels so good to be back in studio. I am back from Iowa. I'm rocking a shirt from the Field of Dreams, which is pretty sick if I do say so myself. But it does feel good to be back in here. I got producer Taylor out here with me. Taylor, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much did you miss me? Uh, 12? Is that an option? Missed you too much. (laughs) That's a good answer. But it, it truly was a blast, man. I had so much fun there in Iowa. Had a lot of episodes come out from there as well. My dad joined me and told every possible corn joke under the sun. It was truly unbelievable, though. And it was it was a lot of fun. But we're back. We're in studio. And the storylines just started rolling the second I got back, I feel like. And the first one of those being Fernando Tatis. And that's where I want to start because that was probably... The biggest piece of news that has come out in a while, and that is that Fernando Tatis Jr. has been suspended for 80 games. 80 games. So this is coming right on the heels. He is almost back. He was rehabbing in the minor leagues. He had been rehabbing for a long time. He was getting closer and closer and closer. And then right as he's on the edge of getting back, he tests positive for a performance-enhancing drug, and he is out for now 80 games, which means he's out for the rest of this season, he's out for the playoffs, and he will be out for a little bit to start next year as well. Um, I don't have a ton to add here other than it's just disappointing. I'm, I'm disappointed, and we heard from a lot of his teammates as well. They, uh, Many of them, many of the Padres players came out and said how disappointed they were, and Myself, as a fan of baseball, and every fan of baseball, so just be disappointed. It just seems like it's one thing after another with with Fernando Tatis. Even uh, teammate Mike Clevenger said, it's the second time we've been disappointed with him, and you hope he grows up and learns from this and learns that it's about more than just him right now. And it is. You look at this window for the Padres. How long is this window going to be? I don't know. Realistically, how, how long is this going to be? It's, it's not long, but you have this window of all these guys you acquired. Juan Soto, you have under control for a few years. Josh Bell, you don't have him under control. Brandon Drury, you don't have him under control. Then you start looking at the rotation. There's a lot of guys that are running out of team control. This was supposed to be one of the years, and you were going to get Fernando Tatis back. And now he's just out. And and just as a fan of of the game of baseball, it's really disappointing. This guy at the beginning of last year signs that mega deal and becomes one of the faces of this sport. And now he's out again. He had the biking accident that made him out for the majority of this year. And then he's on the way back. And now he tests positive for a performance-enhancing drug. The GN, A.J. Preller, said, I think we need to get – I think what we need to get to is a point in time where we trust. Over the course of the last six or seven months, I think that's been something that we haven't really been able to have. 
Not a lot of trust with Fernando Tatis going on there in San Diego. But that that was the biggest piece of news we've seen in a while. Fernando Tatis, one of the best players in the game of baseball, has been suspended for 80 games. I want to move on, though. We're going to talk about the Houston Astros and a little bit about the New York Yankees as well. Why? Because all year long, even when the New York Yankees were on a historically good pace, I was saying the Houston Astros are still the team to beat in the American League. And don't get it twisted. I didn't care how good the Yankees got until the Yankees could prove that they could beat the Astros in October. Then I wasn't ready to say anything other than the Astros are the team to beat. Now here we are on August 15th, and I can say wholeheartedly still that the Astros are the team to beat in the American League. They now have a better record than the Yankees, who were, again, on pace to break the all-time wins record. The Astros now have a better record than them. The Astros are now 75-41, and 41, 34 games over 500. So I've been looking around, you know, I, I look at a lot of the, the top teams in the league, and you look at where is a weakness for this team? Where, where, are the, where are the weaknesses? And I, and I go to the Houston Astros, and I think, what is their weakness? It's, it's not starting pitching. Their rotation has been phenomenal. And now they've added back Lance McCullers, who in his debut, it hadn't pitched in a year, was lights out. He was masterful. The, the Lance McCullers that we saw before he went down. Justin, we all know the year he's having. Fromber Valdez, we all know how good he is. It's not the rotation, and it's certainly not the bullpen, which has been the best bullpen in, in terms of Team ERA for the strong majority of the year. The bullpen has been a big boost for the Astros this year. It's not the defense, which ranks as the third best defense in all of Major League Baseball. And honestly, you, you look at the offense, and it's really not the offense. In most categories, they rank inside the top ten. So... Where's the weakness with this team? You can look at a team like the Yankees and you can find their weakness. Pitching. Specifically since after the All-Star break, which we'll get to in a second. But the Astros really don't have one. And in terms of experience in the playoffs, nobody has more in the American League than the Houston Astros have over the course of the last five, six years. Nobody has more in the game of baseball, really. I feel like the Dodgers and the Astros are on that same path there in terms of how much playoff experience the team has so the Astros are rolling they are the team to beat in the American League they now have 75 wins which is a pace for 104 wins which would be the second most wins in franchise history in 2019 they won 107 2018 they won 103 so pretty impressive what they're doing if they win 100 plus games That'll be four of the five times they've done that will have been since 2017. They've done it five times, and if they do it again this year, four of the five times will be since 2017. Pretty remarkable there what they're doing. But on the other side of things, the Yankees, who I've been very high on for the majority of the year and said very early on, before most anybody, I said, this Yankees team is really good. And you know what? I still do believe they are a very good team, but they are no longer, and 
I don't believe they ever have been the team to beat in the American League, but they are no longer the best team right now in the American League. In fact, since the All-Star break, even a little bit before, they've been downright bad. Since August 1st, the Yankees are 3-8, and eight, the fifth worst record in all of baseball. Their three wins since August are tied. Their three wins in August are tied for the third fewest in all of baseball. Two and six on the road, which is the sixth worst. When you look at the Yankees' season, it has progressively gotten worse and worse over the last couple of months. Look at this: losses by month. Okay, in April, the whole month of April, the Yankees had six losses. In May, they had nine losses. In June. They had six losses. In July, they had 13 losses. And already just two weeks into August, they have eight losses with the majority of the month still to go. The Yankees are are falling, and they're falling fast. Now, do I believe and did I believe the Yankees were as good as they were at the beginning of the season through a couple of months? No. No. And that's not to say I didn't think they were a good team, but they weren't the best team of all time. They were due for a regression to the mean, if you will. Their starting rotation was never supposed to be the catalyst of this team. It was never supposed to be, oh man, this team behind Garrett Cole is going to be carried by their starting pitching of Nestor Cortez and Jamison Tyone. Like, that was never the case. But they were doing that at the beginning of the year, but I always felt they were due for a little bit of a regression. Now, is this team we're seeing right now, is this the Yankees that we can expect? No. I also believe they are a better team than we're seeing right now. So it's somewhere in the middle of what we saw from the beginning of the year and what we're seeing right now. But listen to this. Since before August 1st, okay, the Yankees' rotation, 3.37 ERA, which was third best in all of baseball, 582 strikeouts, the second best in all of baseball. Since August 1st, it has gone way downhill. Team rotation, 4.65 ERA, the 22nd best in baseball. Strikeouts, 56, middle of the pack. It's just not good. On the relieving side, their ERA is still top 10, but three blown saves in in August, which is tied for the second most in baseball, 25% save percentage, second worst in all of baseball. Things have just gone downhill. Clay Holmes appeared to be the best closer in the game of baseball. He has three blown saves in his last 11 games. He had two in his previous 38. So Clay Holmes has gone downhill as well. So, When it comes to the Yankees, you can literally point to the All-Star break. It started a little bit before, but when it comes to the Yankees, you can point to the All-Star break. ERA before the All-Star break, they were third best. After, 24th best. Strikeouts, fourth and eighth. Relief pitching, this is where it really changes. ERA before the All-Star break, they had the second best in baseball. Since then, it's 11th. I mean, I could go on and on with these stats, but for the Yankees, it has been pitching. They were on pace to be the best team of all time, and now it's not the case. Now they're going to win the AL East. They will be fine. But this discussion that I've been having all year, Astros versus Yankees, and saying the Astros are the team to beat in the American League, don't get it twisted. 
the beginning of time when I was saying that, it's, oh, Ben, you're so biased, which is just a ridiculous narrative. I, I have the ability in my career to call a spade a spade, and I knew the Astros were the team to beat. Is that to say they're not going to lose in the playoffs? Absolutely not. But until the Yankees can prove that they can beat the Astros in the playoffs, the Astros are the team to beat. So the Astros are now the best team in the American League record-wise, and we know they're going to get into October. We know both of these teams are. And I just hope as a fan we can see a collision course in the ALCS between the Astros and the Yankees. How great would that be? But my last, my last storyline to get to is the New York Mets. And I've talked a lot about the New York Mets this year, specifically at the beginning of the year. I went on record saying, look, this Mets team is good. This Mets team is different. And this Mets team is not going to Met. The, the, saying, the saying that has become ingrained in my brain over the last few years, because people like to overuse sayings, oh, the Mets are metting. Well, it wasn't going to happen this year. It's clearly still not happening, and I don't believe it will happen at any point. I believe in this Mets team, and I want to explain to you right now why the Mets are a World Series team. So as we, as we speak right now, they have over a five-game lead in the NL East after the Braves narrowed it down over the Braves. The Braves are also one of the better teams in the league, but that's just a credit to how good the Mets have been. So my three reasons why the Mets are a World Series team. First and foremost, Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. And I feel like that's I feel like that's one of the biggest reasons of all. If you can ever start off something with that, you, you know you have a pretty good team. But since DeGrom has joined this rotation, it's just gone to a new level. DeGrom and Scherzer have been unbelievable. Since DeGrom came back for the first start on August 2nd, the Mets have three starters inside the top 20 in all of Major League Baseball in ERA. No other team has that many guys in the top three. Chris Bassett. Hasn't given up a single earned run since DeGrom returned. Max Scherzer, a 0.64 ERA. Jacob DeGrom, a 1.62 ERA. And you may think, okay, but you're just pointing back to when DeGrom joined the rotation. Like, you're, you're kind of cherry-picking numbers there. That's not exactly true. You can see how big of a difference Jacob DeGrom makes for this team, for this rotation, for everybody around him. He's literally lifting up everybody around him. This tweet, I don't know which one is which, but Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer are the John Lennon and Paul McCartney of contemporary pitchers. That's how good they've been. They also lead all Major League starting staffs in that period with strikeouts, with 82. So this is, again, since DeGrom joined, they had 82 strikeouts. It's by far the most. The White Sox have 71, and that is the second most. I mean, these two... Jacob DeGrom, and Max Scherzer. Imagine facing these guys to start a playoff series. Imagine facing the Mets in a five-game playoff series, much less a seven-game where you're probably going to have to face them twice. Now, DeGrom's iffy there because I don't know if Jacob DeGrom is going to be going on short rest much in the playoffs, which tends to be something important that is done. Is Okay, pitchers aren't going on their usual five rest. They're going on four. Some In some instances, three if your backs are really against the wall I don't think there's a world in which we're going to be seeing that from Jacob DeGrom but who knows but since DeGrom has been back 
Listen to him and Scherzer. This is the catalyst of the rotation. Jacob deGrom and Max Scherzer. They're 3-0. and In 30.2 innings pitched, they've allowed four runs, 45 strikeouts in those 30.2 innings, and just one walk, a 1.17 ERA, and a whip of 0.65. Opponents are slashing just 174 and a 428 OPS. That is unbelievable. So DeGrom and Scherzer, my first point here of why this team is a World Series caliber team. Next up, offensive depth. This is a big one for this team. Offensive depth. In years past, it was Pete Alonso. Pete Alonso had to drive in all the runs. He was going to supply all the power for the team. And if it didn't happen, they just weren't going to be very good. And they had the ability to just get shut out multiple nights in a row, and then they'd just drop and drop and drop in the standings. Last year, it was about Pete Alonso and Francisco Lindor. They added a piece. Lindor, as we know, had a really bad year, and the team wasn't very good at the, you know, they fell off a cliff at the end of the year. This year, they addressed that, and it's no longer just the two of them. It is no longer just Pete and, and Francisco Lindor. They've added Starley Marte, who is having an all-star year. He was an all-star. In my opinion, he is the MVP of this offense. That's how good he's been. Jeff McNeil has been healthy, thankfully, and really good offensively. Eduardo Escobar, who hasn't been great, but has come up in big moments for them, which is kind of my whole point here. They have so many guys with the ability on any given night to step up and to score enough runs to help out that rotation. They no longer need to put up eight runs a night. Sometimes it's going to be about scoring three. And in the other night, when DeGrom was on the mound, all it took was one. Pete Alonso drove in a run. And that's all they needed. That's what's different about this Mets team. They have the pitching. We know that. But offensively, they have enough guys that are capable of winning a game for your team, which is different than years past. So Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer, and the depth of the offense are my first two points. My third and final, my closer, if you will, is Edwin Diaz. Edwin Diaz is my third reason why this Mets team is a World Series team. Edwin Diaz has been the best closer in the game of baseball. He's on pace to break the single-season K-per-nine record, which he's currently sitting at a 17.9. The record all-time is Aroldis Chapman, who did it in 2014 when he was with the Cincinnati Reds. He's at 17.7. That's the current record. Edwin Diaz is at 17.9. Now, K per nine can sound, you know, like if you're not in the weeds with baseball, you might not quite understand what that means. This is saying over the course of nine innings, if Edwin Diaz were to pitch in a nine-inning game, he would be striking out pretty much 18 batters per game. 18 of the 27 outs would be via the strikeout. So right now, if the season ended, he'd break that all-time record. He has 27 saves, the third most in baseball, in 30 opportunities, which is the third most. He's one of only two pitchers in the majors with 30-plus save opportunities and a save percentage of 90% or higher. He's also the only reliever in the top 25 of save opportunities to have surrendered less than 10 runs this season. The next closest is Emmanuel Classe, who is at 10 on the dot. Edwin Diaz is the definition of dominant. 
And when you look at winning in the playoffs, that's what this is about right now. For for the majority of these teams that I've talked about today, Astros, um, Yankees, Mets, even the even the Padres to some degree, it's now about winning when you get to the playoffs. And how do you win in the playoffs? Well, pitching is a massive part of it. Having the rotation, which they do, DeGrom, Scherzer, Bassett, and getting it to a ninth-inning guy in Edwin Diaz is just something you don't want to face. This team, the New York Mets, have every bit of the makings of a World Series team, and it's because of the way they are designed. It's because they are built to win in the playoffs. Of course, they're winning right now. I believe they will win the NL East, but this team is built to win in October, and you can't say that about every team out there. They match up well against every single team they could possibly face. And a big reason of that is the pitching. When it comes to October baseball, the game changes a little bit. It becomes about pitching. Good pitching can shut down a good offense. We see that all the time in the playoffs. Good pitching shuts down good offenses. The Mets, they have better pitching than anyone. Nobody wants to run into DeGrom and Scherzer, and that is the reason why I say this New York Mets team is a World Series caliber team. All right, and now it is time, as usual, on the Monday episode to get into my new and updated top 10 Major League Baseball power rankings. We're going to start, as usual, at number 10. And to be honest, we're never not going to start with number 10. But at number 10, I have the Toronto Blue Jays, who have bumped down this list a little bit now. They haven't been playing... Great baseball of late. They're sitting at 61 and 52. Still a good mark. They'd still be in the playoffs if all was said and done right now. But they have been struggling a little bit. But I still believe they are a top 10 team in Major League Baseball because of how good their offense is. Against opposing starters, their team offense is batting 271, which is the best mark in all of baseball. This offense is good. I am very disappointed in the Blue Jays for not adding starting pitching at the deadline. I believe that could have put them over the top. But they didn't do it. They've been struggling ever since. They're hanging on barely in the top 10 here at number 10. Moving on, at number 9, I have the San Diego Padres, who have also moved down this list a good bit. From, from where they were when they acquired Soto and Josh Bell and Josh Hader and Brandon Drury, to now they have slid down the list a little bit more. They have not been great, despite Juan Soto being Pretty good since he's come over. Well over 300. Got his first home run the other day. They're 65-52. and 52. I do believe this team is very good. The Fernando Tatis news is a big punch in the gut. This team was going to go from really good to great to, a, to one of the elite teams in the league that was going to get in via the wild card. But now they're not getting that back. They're not getting him. That's a big blow to this team. That's a big blow to the lineup. They have also been scuffling a little bit, and they have slid down this list. They're at number nine. Moving on to number eight, the St. Louis Cardinals. This Cardinals team, from from the deadline, has gotten themselves in a really good position. They added the pitching they need to. They're now at 63-51. and 51. The offense is rolling. Aaron Nato has been incredible. Goldschmidt has been really good as well. This team is good, and they did. They did of any other team in the NL Central. They did what they needed to to win the division, and they quickly got into first place in that division. Shout out to Albert Pujols, who's getting closer and closer and closer to 700 home runs. And I really hope it happens, but I'm really worried, and it needs to happen. Moving on, number seven, the Philadelphia 
Phillies. Since the All-Star break, the Phillies are tied with the best save percentage in all of baseball, 87.5. And the reason I say that, because you might think, okay, that's not the biggest deal. It is. Because that was a huge weakness of theirs before they acquired David Robertson. They had Corey Knable at the back end of the bullpen, who is a good reliever, but in a closer role, he had not been great for the Phillies. David Robertson has stepped in and been really good for a Phillies team that is surging, and they've been surging ever since their managerial change. Since they made that change, the Phillies are 41-22 and and the third best team in all of baseball since they fired Joe Girardi. They're here at number seven. Moving on to number six, the Seattle Mariners. The Mariners are 27-14 and in one-run games this year. That is good for best in all of baseball. I, look, this is high for the Mariners. This has been higher than they have been all year long. Count me in as a believer in this team. They went out. They added Luis Castillo, who's been really good for them in his couple of starts. They have a rotation that is sneaky, really good, that nobody's going to want to face in October, of Robbie Ray, Luis Castillo, Logan Gilbert, who wants to face that, which means you can move guys into the bullpen that are just downright filthy. You can have Matt Brash and George Kirby added to a bullpen that's already been one of the best in all of baseball because in one-run games, nobody has a better win percentage than the Mariners. I like this team a lot. I think they are built for success. I think they have a sneaky good chance to do some damage in October. They're here at six. At number five, the New York Yankees. They have just continued to fall and fall and fall. And they've gone from one the majority of the year to two, three, four, and five in all consecutive weeks. It just hasn't been pretty for them. They have not been playing well. In their last 11 games, they've won two of them. They're 2-9 and nine over the course of their last 11. That's just really bad. This team that was doing so well on both sides of the ball, offensively and pitching, and they do have a good defense, they're no longer pitching that well. And that's been the difference. And I look, I always believe they were due to a little bit of a regression because you can't tell me a rotation, Garrett Cole is elite, but you can't tell me a rotation of Garrett Cole followed by Jamison Tyon and Nestor Cortez and Luis Severino and Domingo German is one of the best in all of baseball because it's not. But they were the best. They were historically good. Now they have all regressed a little bit. Garrett Cole has been Garrett Cole. But other than that, the regression is real. And that's why we're seeing a Yankees team that has really been struggling. They are a worse team than they were playing at the start of the year, and they are a better team than they are playing right now. And I have them at number five. Moving on to number four, the Atlanta Braves. The Braves just keep rolling, and so do the Mets, both of those teams. The Braves are 70-46. and After that series with the Mets, the Braves have really turned it on. Their pitching has been dominant. Michael Harris has been so, so good for them. Spencer Strider, unbelievable. Rookies have been getting it done on a team that, honestly, Ronald Acuna Jr. has been underperforming this year. But the rookies have stepped up and gotten it done. This Braves team will most certainly be in the playoffs. Will it be because they won the NL East? Probably not. 
but they will certainly be in the playoffs and will do some absolute damage when they are there. Moving on, number three on my list this week, I have the New York Mets. I talked a lot about the Mets off the top of the show, but DeGrom has come back. He has been unbelievable. Jacob DeGrom was throwing 95-mile-an-hour sliders the other day. 94, 95-mile-an-hour sliders that are moving like a Frisbee. I was watching that game. I was watching him pitch. I was watching the Mets, and I just thought to myself, when he's on the mound, there's nobody even remotely on the same playing field as Jacob deGrom. Stuff-wise, certainly. Numbers-wise, they're certainly pitchers, and my brother is one of them having a masterful year. But stuff-wise, there's nobody even close. Jacob deGrom is out there throwing 102 miles an hour with a wipeout slider that's 94 miles an hour. How is that possible? He is so unbelievably good since he's come back. Him and Scherzer have been absolutely dominant. And I have the Mets here at number three because, look, nobody wants to face them come October. That's how good they are. Moving on. Number two, the best team in the American League. And for the first time in a while, the team with the best record in the American League. And that is the Houston Astros. They're doing it all. They're doing it all really well. Their starting pitching is phenomenal. Their bullpen has been the best in baseball the majority of the year. Their offense is top 10 in baseball in most categories. They're the third best defensive team in all of baseball. I don't really see a weakness with this Astros team. That's how good they are. A big blow to them, Michael Brantley being out for the year. He's done. But that just makes the pickup of Trey Mancini even more important. Mancini came in to play the majority of first base, but he's now going to have to play a little bit of left field, and we saw that over the weekend. For the first time, he played left field. So adding him was huge for their depth with Brantley being out, but this team is really complete, complete, and they're the best team in the American League, hands down. And moving on, and number one in my power rankings and certainly the number one team in the National League, it's the Los Angeles Dodgers. Listen to this and listen to this closely. They are 79 and 34. 79 wins to 34 losses. They just saw on Sunday a 12-game winning streak come to an end. And in that 12-game streak, they won every single game by multiple runs. They're not just winning they're blowing teams out. That is a credit to their offense and how good they are. Shout out to Joey Gallo for being able to grow a beard again and turning into turning the Dodgers into a fantastic baseball team. I don't want to say he's back to being Joey Gallo because I, I don't think he is. I don't think that's the player we're going to see this year. But the curse of Joey Gallo for the Yankees appears to be a real thing. So... The Dodgers have gotten him and have only lost one time since they acquired him. The Dodgers are really, really good. They have the best record in baseball. They have the best offense in baseball. And that's pretty much why, in a nutshell, they are at number one again, back-to-back -back weeks, as the best team on my top ten Major League Baseball power rank. All right, and now, as usual on Monday, it is time to put together my team of the week where I go position by position and select the best player at every spot 
from the week that was. Let's start at catcher from the Los Angeles Dodgers. I have Will Smith. Will Smith is just incredible. He's been on this list a good bit now. He had 333 on the week with a home run and five RBIs. I'm telling you, since this guy came into the league, he has been one of, if not the best, catchers in all of baseball. He does not get the credit he deserves because of the lineup that he's in the middle of. But let's move on to first base. What a week this guy had. First base from the Washington Nationals, Joey Manessis, 500 on the week, four home runs and six RBIs. Since 2005, when the Washington Nationals organization moved to Washington, no batter has had more hits in his first few games with a team than Joey Manessis. In his first 10 career games, he has 14 hits, which breaks the all-time Washington Nationals record. Joey Manessis, unbelievable. What a stud breaking onto the scene already. And at 30, he's already, at 30 years old, he's doing this. And, and really cool story there. Let's move on over to second base from the Colorado Rockies. I have Brendan Rodgers. Rodgers has been on this list a couple times as well this year. What a what a good year he's having. 389 on the week, a home run, and five RBIs out there in Colorado. I like him a lot. Um, he was a big name they drafted years ago, but hadn't quite panned out. And this year, he's having a really good year. Let's move on over to third base. At third base, again, Nolan Arenado of the St. Louis Cardinals. 346 on the week, four home runs, nine RBIs. By the way, Nolan Arenado agreed to participate in the World Baseball Classic for Team USA. Huge pickup there. Arenado's been raking this year, having an MVP type of year, a career year, and he did it again this week. Let's move on over to shortstop. At shortstop on this week's Team of the Week, I have Paul DeYoung of the St. Louis Cardinals, 455, two home runs, seven RBIs. If the Cardinals can get this production out of their shortstop position, it adds a whole new dynamic because that's been a weakness um, in the past couple of years. Paul DeYoung has not been very good. He had shown flashes early on of being a really good baseball player. It hadn't quite panned out, and he's certainly playing better. And this, you know, 455 this week, that's really good. Let's move on out to the outfield. Three outfielders, regardless of their position. So don't, don't you know, spare me with the, that guy should be in center or he doesn't play. Three outfielders, regardless of position. First up, Kyle Tucker, Houston Astros. What a week. He hit 400 on the week with two home runs and nine RBIs. Kyle Tucker has had quite the year, honestly. So many ups and downs, but he's really on and up right now. He's been fantastic. He's my first outfielder. Next up in the outfield, let's go with Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees because, of course, Aaron Judge is on here. He's been on here probably more than half of my – Aaron Judge has probably been on more than half of my team of the week. He had 389, added on three home runs to his total, seven RBIs. He's now over 100 RBIs. He's now still on pace to break the all-time New York Yankees home run record. The guy just keeps doing it. What a remarkable year. Moving on, my last of the three outfielders from the Chicago White Sox, Andrew Vaughn. Vaughn's also putting together a sneaky good year. 400 on the week, two home runs, six RBIs. The White Sox, are they starting to click a little bit? It seems maybe so. 
And Andrew Vaughn's a big reason for that. All right, that rounds out the outfield. Kyle Tucker, Aaron Judge, Andrew Vaughn out in the outfield. Moving on to the designated hitter from the Los Angeles Dodgers, Max Muncy. Muncy, again, this year has not been up to his standards at all, really. But this week, certainly so. 500 on the week, three home runs, seven RBIs. He had that good of a week and is still hitting 179 on the year. But you might hear that number. It's up from like 160. So to up his batting average when he's played most every game, up at 10 points in one week, that's pretty good. He is creeping up closer and closer to that 200 mark. But this is the Max Muncy we all know and have come to love over the course of the last couple of years. This guy rakes. He can do some damage. And if Max Muncy starts rolling as this team heads into the playoffs, it adds a whole other dynamic to this roster. Muncy is my DH on Team of the Week. Let's move on to starting pitcher. For the first time this year, the starting pitcher on my Team of the Week is Jacob deGrom. 2-0 in his two starts, 11 and two-thirds innings pitched, a 1.54 ERA, which all came from Dansby Swanson running into a ball, hit a ball out of the yard off of deGrom, but those were where the runs were scored. Other than that, it was dominant. In those 11 and two-thirds innings pitched, he struck out 22 guys. 22. He had a whip of 0.34. That's how good he was. Nobody was reaching base. Dansby Swanson just put a good swing on one, ran into one, hit it out of the yard. But DeGrom is back on the mound, and he is, without a doubt, the best pitcher on planet Earth when he's healthy. I, I said this a little earlier, but I was literally watching him pitch just amazed he's throwing 94 mile an hour sliders that move all over the place and I was just thinking there is nobody that can do what Jacob deGrom does and that's how good he is moving on my last player on team of the week is Camilo Duvall of the San Francisco Giants he had a clip go a little bit viral earlier this week when he threw a 103 mile an hour backdoor cutter to end the game four innings pitched only gave up one hit had four saves on the week, struck out four while doing it, and he rounds out my team of the week. But before we move on to one final segment, a little drum roll here for the Flippin' Bats Pod Player of the Week, and it is Joey Manessis of the Washington Nationals. That's right. Before this episode, there's a good chance you never heard the name Joey Manessis, but he is here as my player of the week. 563, four home runs, six RBIs, and an OPS, get this, of 1.924. The guy almost had a two OPS. On the week, a 2,000 OPS. What a remarkable week for this man. Comes up, makes his debut. He has been fantastic. What a good story this is. Um, and you just love to see it. There were certainly players that had really good weeks. Max Muncy was in the running for this player of the week. But nobody hit 563 with four homers and six RBIs and a basically 2,000 OPS. I'm rounding up for the OPS. An OPS of 2,000 on the week for Joey Manessas, and he rounds out my team of the week and is the Flippin' Bats Pod Player of the Week. All right, Ben, before we go, we got a little extra innings, and uh, for everyone at home, I highly encourage you to find some tissues for this one. Uh, it's going to have some tears flowing, and especially for you, Ben, because you have a little connection to our featured player. 
Yeah, my uh, my friend, good friend, actually, Wynton Bernard, after over a decade in the minor leagues. Let me stress that again. Over a decade, 10 full seasons in the minor leagues, is uh, now a big leaguer. And he got the call up the other day, and this story and this video that came out are it's absolutely incredible so i want to play that video but a little bit of a background first um when and i played together in the tigers organization and he comes over and in spring training he was he tried out he tried out for the team during spring training every year the tigers hold this tryout and guys come out and try out and nobody ever actually makes the team it's just a thing that they've done um but this year Winton made the team (laughs) He, he, the Tigers signed Wynton Bernard from a tryout, and that's where him and I met. I was one of the first players he ended up meeting with the Tigers. We played together in West Michigan that year, and I'll, I'll forever remember, actually, is before the first game of the year, I went in to hit in the batting cage, and it was just him and I in there. He was already in there hitting off of a tee, um, and I was always early as well, and, and I went in there and was just surprised to see him, and we started feeding each other off the tee, and became really close and we became really good friends and we became outfield mates and he was playing center field. I was playing right field and we were always singing out there together. It was just really cool for us. And his journey is remarkable. He was drafted in the 35th round by the Padres, released by the Padres, ends up doing a tryout for the Tigers, makes the team, gets DFA'd by the Tigers, goes to play independent ball, not affiliated with the team, ends up being seen by the Rockies, picked up by the Rockies, and after years and years and years of grinding and grinding and grinding, he got called up to the big leagues the other day. And this moment that we're about to hear takes place immediately after he got the call. This phone call is with his mom, and some of the things you'll hear make more of a, of a difference here, and uh, you know, it'll give you a little bit better of an understanding that Winton's father passed away in 2010, so this conversation with him and his mom just hits the feels and will hit you um, right in the heart. So let's check that out right now. How to do it? There you are. I, I, I can see you now. Can you see me? Mom. Mom. Okay. Can you see me? Can you see me? I can see you. Mom, I'm going to the major leagues. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going, Mama. I'm going, Mom. I promise. I promise, Mom. I'm going. Come on. I got to figure out all the logistics in a second. They just told me just now. I did it, Mommy. I did it, Mom. I love you so much. Thank you for everything, Mom. Thank you. Thank you for... Thank you for supporting me. I couldn't do this without you. I did, Mom. I did. You just, you just fulfilled your destiny, son. Yep. I love you. It just, it hits me in the feels every single time. I love that man. He is a good, good dude. He is as good as it comes. He is a good friend of mine. I will forever be grateful for our time in the Tigers organization together. And I have continued to root him on 
his entire career. And we've talked a good bit this year. I knew it. I was hopeful it was coming. He was playing so well. And he finally got the call. And um, to see that moment, man, it, uh, to be honest with you, I've probably watched that 20 times. And, and 18 of those times, I was just bawling absolute tears in my living room watching it. I am so, so happy for him. Nobody deserves it more. When I love you, my friend. Congratulations, buddy. And that does it for this episode of Flippin' Bats. Thank you all for listening. I hope you all enjoyed it. Enjoyed this Monday episode. Make sure you're all liking, subscribe, wherever you listen to your podcast, Apple, Spotify, anywhere. We're also on all social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all at Flippin' Bats Pod. You can also watch every episode, everything that comes out on YouTube at Flippin' Bats Pod as well. Thank you all for listening. This one has been a lot of fun, and I will see you tomorrow for another episode of Flippin' Bats.